Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is uh, so good to see you here this morning. And uh, we are actually starting a new series, uh, as you may have seen in this little bumper video, called Upside Down. And uh, maybe a good way of describing it is just kind of the world we're living in right now is upside down. Iowa State beat Oklahoma, right? <laughs> that was a great game, and, and uh, the Cyclones, you can be proud. It was uh, truly fun. Well, th- this morning, you know, I, I, I know one of the things that uh, I like is I kind of have a kick with these optical illusions. Anybody fans of those? But, uh, so I found a couple of them, you know, depending on how you look at it, uh, what you see. And so um, here's one that kind of blew my mind. Is it a lion or a mouse, right? You turn it upside down. And uh, this is kind of funny. It's a picture. Is it a pig or an owl, right? So that's kind of the, the approach we're taking in this series is that Jesus often taught things that life in his kingdom uh, is really the polar opposite of what we experience or what we see in the world that the values that Jesus has are very different than the values that the world is displaying or teaching. And so life in his kingdom looks upside down many times. And I think about that in in this season that we're living in. (laughs) We are so polarized, right? We are so torn apart. And, And, you know, we can go in all kinds of directions in politically even religiously, all kinds of things. But the challenge then for us, I believe right now in this moment, for us as followers of Jesus is how are we going to live and to act in this world that is so polarized and and teaching things and, and using sort of our capacity to discern, how are we going to discern what to do, how to act, how to treat. And so we're going to be exploring some different ideas over this, these next four weeks. This upside down kingdom. And the idea that I want to explore today is just this idea that the weak, being weak is the new strong. Being weak is the new strong. And I want to use uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I just want to read a couple of verses. And we're going to explore more of this over these next uh, few moments. But he starts here. But he said to me, this is chapter 12. Let me see if I can find in my own Bible. Verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. Who's the he? The he is God. Okay, God is speaking to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul has this revelation from God, because he's going through a very challenging thing, And God says to him, you know what? In your weakness, my grace is sufficient for you. In fact, because of your weakness, my power can be on display in you. 
and through you. And so Paul takes that to the, to the whole other end. He goes, okay, fine. If that's the case, if God's power is displayed in my weakness, then, then I'm going to relish, I'm going to boast in all of my weaknesses. I'm going to boast when I'm insulted. I'm going to boast when I'm going through difficulty. I'm going to boast because it's then that God's power is available and display, on display in me and through me. Now that's a very different picture than what uh, we often see in the world. So the question that I have for us to kind of explore and think about this morning is simply this. How do we act, live and act so that in our weakness, because that's not something we often want to talk about, in our weakness, Christ's power might be displayed. How are we going to live and act in our weakness so that Christ's power can be displayed. That people would see not us, but Jesus. Let me back it up just a couple of verses. I want to go uh, to uh, chapter 12 again and verse 7. And Paul says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Let me just pause right there just for a second. There's a case of one-upsmanship going on and Paul is addressing to the Corinthians. You ever been in that conversation, you know, where you're, you're explaining yourself, you're telling a story, you're giving an experience, and then that next person says, well, you know, well, you, back in the day when I did this, you know, it's like, boom, they got a bigger story, a better story, and all the tension goes away from you to that person. It's like there's that going on in this Corinthian church. What's happening is that Paul started this, this little church in Corinth, he led them to Christ. He also had to discipline, so he was, had to be like a, a strong father to them. And he, he wrote some very hard things. But there are other kind of teachers that swooped in. And they started diminishing Paul's ministry. And they, they were like, oh, well, that new guy, he's great. Let's follow him. And if you go back about a chapter, you realize that Paul's going, you know, hold on. I, if there's anything other than Jesus being taught to you, I don't want you to follow these other teachers. And if you're looking for credentials, guess what? I've got all the credentials. I've got the heritage, the pedigree. I've got all the stuff. In fact, I've got the drive. I've been, I've been beaten five times. I've been put in prison. I've been shipwrecked. I've done all the stuff. If you're looking for credentials, you don't need to look any further than me. And then he goes on and he describes in chapter 12, you should go back and read this at lunchtime. Chapter 12, he has this amazing vision. God gives him a vision and he opens up the doors of heaven. And Paul comes back and said, even a spiritual experience, I've had a spiritual experience and I could boast on that. I could say, look at me. I've got all the stuff, the credentials, the experiences, the drive, everything. But here's what he says. He said, you know what God did? God gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep me from becoming conceited. 
I was given a messenger from Satan to torment me. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I said, God, please don't do this. And that's when God spoke. I said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You know what God is saying, I think? Paul, you're driven. Paul, you've got a bright mind. Paul, you're a powerful person. But guess what? It's in your brokenness that my power can be displayed. So how are we going to live and act in weakness so that Christ's power can be on display? So when people see us, they don't see us, they see Jesus. I think we need to think about that. What does Paul say? I think it's this. We, first, we need to learn how to lead and live in, into and embrace our brokenness, our wounds. Are we willing to lead with or embrace our wounds? The only way I think we can do this is if we're willing to be vulnerable. It requires vulnerability, right? So what does that look like? What is vulnerability? You know, is it weakness? Some people might see it as that, right? Or is it risk to be uncomfortable, to emotionally expose yourself, to be transparent or honest or to actually show that we're human. I think that's exactly what Paul does. So I couldn't stand it. I pleaded with God to take this pain away from me, and yet that's when he spoke to me. Brene Brown, who's done a lot of work on this whole idea of being vulnerable, says this, vulnerability is not weakness. It is our most accurate measure of courage. Think about that statement just for a moment. It is our most accurate statement of courage. It takes courage. It takes guts. You know what? Guess what? I suck at being vulnerable. I do. I really, I'm terrible at it. I'm really bad. I'd rather have a big bowl of ice cream and Netflix. And some of you probably, you know, a few drinks or whatever it is. You know, we like to self-medicate. I don't want to deal with my own pain or my own anxiety or my own sort of whatever it is going on in me. I don't want to expose that. What are you going to think about me? If weak is the new strong, are you willing to go there? To say, you know what, I don't have it all right. 
I'm hurting. Or I'm confused. Or I'm fearful. Or I really suck at being a parent. Or whatever it is. I mean, think about that. Paul pleaded, take this away from me. And isn't that our first thing with pain or any kind of sort of anxiety? We want to just, God, just take this away. But what if we were embracing it and said, you know, rather than running away, I'm going to admit to it that there's something here that I can learn from. That I don't have it all right. You know, one of the things that I do have is I have very strong opinions. I have strong opinions about politics. I have strong opinions about uh, sports. I have strong opinions about lots of things. But if I'm really honest with myself, I've gotten things so wrong. I've hurt people. I, I don't, don't intend to, but I do. And so can I be vulnerable enough to say, you know what, I may have it wrong. I may have it wrong when it comes to politics. I may have it wrong when it comes to my understanding of faith. Because you know what often happens? When we feel anxious when we want to sort of close out that vulnerability, when we want to kind of not stare in the face of pain, we either want to run or we want to move to places of certainty. And guess where people go with places of certainty first? Religion and politics. Are we vulnerable enough (laughs) to say, well, I, I don't think I have it right. You know who leads with their wounds and often practices vulnerability, at least the people I've been around? People who are actually in recovery. People that know that they're, they're, they're done trying to manage their own lives. And they've surrendered themselves to the care of God. They're quick and honest about their mistakes. And they're willing to take a moral inventory And say, you know what? I have done wrong. You know who could be helped by that? I think about parents. I think about my own parenting. You know, here's the truth of the matter. I'm a pastor, right? I'm supposed to have it all together, right? I don't have it all together. Parenting in this season of life has been one of the most challenging things I've ever gone through particularly with our young adult children. I'm, I'm just blown away by that. And I'm like, I don't have the answer. And for me to get up here and say that I have the answer, the only thing I can do is say, I have to trust God. I think about being married to an educator. And if me... 
as a parent, I know that I fail. If we as parents, I, I have seen this before, if, if parents would just be open and vulnerable and say, you know what, I may not have it all together. <laughs> I know that the teachers, at least the people that I know, they would love to partner with those parents to help them. But what does it require? It requires a level of vulnerability, doesn't it? To lead with our wounds. And to say, I don't have it all together. The weak, to be weak, is the potential to have the power of Christ exposed and displayed through you. I think about businesses, business owners. What if you're a little bit vulnerable and said, you know what, we don't get it always right. And we messed up. How can we make it up to you? You know what vulnerability does? It, it opens up the possibility of connection, of realization that I am worthy, that I can belong, and that I am loved with God and with others. Okay. I probably said enough. Are you getting my drift? This requires some heart surgery. <laughs> Where am I vulnerable enough for people to see me? I think, I think about marriages. Let me just go on that for a second. Spouses. Are you going to be vulnerable with your spouse? You know, Brene Brown put this question out there. Where are you needing to be vulnerable in your life right now? You know what the number one thing was? Please pray for me because I need to be vulnerable with my spouse about my sexual desire. I'm like, Wow. What does that mean? Am I vulnerable enough with the people I love? Do they see the real me, what's going on inside of me? Is that an opportunity for weakness and shame? Or for Christ's power? If we're going to lead with our wounds, we need to be vulnerable. Here's the second thing I would encourage us. I think it requires a sacrificial commitment to a greater purpose. I just want to read to you um, from uh, Paul. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 13 to 15. He's talking about some of his own drive. He says in verse 13, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now what does it mean for us 
to be committed to a greater thing, a greater purpose. Our lives are not for ourselves, is basically what Paul is saying. Meaning and purpose come from living for something bigger than us. It is God who first loved us and gave Himself for us. It is God who loves us. And we, in response, get to love Him and to love other people. Isn't that awesome? We get to do that. But to say that we have it all together, no, we don't. It is God who first loved us and gave Himself for us. When we lead with our remove, we remember that we're not all that. We don't have it all together. But we know someone who does. You know, I spoke Wednesday night to the Friends First group. By the way, that's just an awesome group of kids. They're doing some amazing things. And, and you can be really proud of your high school students. They're just very respectful. I mean, it was just fun to be with them. Here's, here's what I told them. I said, there's two things true about you. There's true things true about them. And it's true for you, too. That you are infinitely valuable. I mean, God created you in His image. And so, you are, you are valued. In fact, every human being on the face of the planet is valued. And there's something good to know about that. You need to know that you are loved. You are valued. There's a second thing that's true about you too. And it's true for you too. You are deeply flawed. And I think you know it. You're anxious. You know you lie. You know you have done wrong. You know you've got a rebellious streak. You know you're, you wonder if you belong or fit in or if I'm good enough. And the reality is we all need a Savior. And here's what Jesus says, in spite of yourself, I love you and I will rescue you. You are dearly loved. And so Paul says, because of that love, he embraced that love in his life. That he was worthy. That he belonged. That he was forgiven and free. That love compels me to do something. To live a different way. To live into this life that Jesus has for me. And to love other people in a new way. You want to lead with your, your weaknesses and your wounds? We all have wounds, friends. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, for us to just share what they are. Just to kind of, we've been here all day, right? But to know that in the midst of that, you are still loved. That compels. You know, here's the last thing I want to say this morning. I think if we're going to lead with our wounds and to believe that the weak is a new strong, that, that Christ's power can be displayed in us, is it requires us to rethink uh, and reframe our idea of suffering. What is suffering, really? Well, here's what Paul thought in chapter 4. Verse 7, 
But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Or he goes on to say in this, later on in this chapter, verse 16, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far away is them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let me just go back to chapter 12 and where he goes in. And he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. And listen to what he says, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Do you hear that? In other words, suffering is an opportunity for God to be on display in my life. For God's power to be in me and through me. That is a very different way of thinking about suffering, isn't it? Weak is a new strong. You know, for most of our adult lives, I had a front row seat to watching Giselle's mother sort of go through her life of disability and personal suffering. And last December she passed and went to be with Jesus. I just want to close with, with a, a poem that was written by Giselle's dad. It's called Ordinary. I just want you to hear this. Ordinary. Why did God choose you to become disabled? What was it about you that God chose to use? An unexpected disruption? Confused and afraid yet responding with strength, courage, and trust, confident in what you knew for sure about God. You belong to Him, securing a relationship with Him. In that relationship was where you found purpose, purpose to be faithful to what God called you, a committed, God-honoring wife, mother, and friend, learning patience in prayer that God answers, but in His will, his way, and his timing. Always self-conscious of being in the spotlight. Not realizing people were watching to see your reaction. To 45 years of disruptions and pain. Your pleasant demeanor. A testimony of your maturity in Christ. Ordinary in the pursuit and dignity of routine tasks. Yet extraordinary in response to adversity impacting others in a way you never anticipated. When we were at the visitation of the funeral, people would come and they would talk about Ruth. And it wasn't anything she did. She just showed up. 
She just lived life because that's all she could do. And yet the impact of that was simply a display of God's glory and His grace and His power. It had nothing to do with what she did. In the kingdom of God, the weak shall be strong. The weak. Are you willing to humble yourselves in a sense before the Lord and say, you know what, God, I just don't have it all right, but I'm trusting you. Let's pray together. God, I think about just the lives that we are living and the challenges that we face. Lord, I would pray that in this setting, in our church body, we would have the freedom to allow ourselves to be weak just for a moment, if nothing else, to say, we need you, God. And in our weakness, we would allow your spirit, your power to be put on display. Lord, I pray for courageous conversations that we would be vulnerable enough to say when we need help, vulnerable enough to speak things of truth and be honest with ourselves and others so that the light of your truth and your grace could be on display.